Hebrews 10 and verse 36. We had started this one, but there were still some cross-references to look up. It says here, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So here, the perseverance in the Christian life is described as doing the will of God. And that's a theme that's very common in the Bible. And we're going to look up some more cross-references to that effect. Uh, Sam, could you look up Romans 15, 4 and 5? And Norma, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. And Artis, James 1, 3 and 4. And Bert, 1 John 2, 17. 1 John 2.17 Okay, Romans, Romans 15, 4 and 5. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. So God grants perseverance, but there it says the perseverance of the Scriptures. I'm trying to remember when I taught through Romans, I think that's a genitive, and so you have to determine whether it's perseverance that belongs to the Scripture or perseverance that comes from the Scripture. Objective or subjective. I can't remember what the answer was. I know I studied that one time. Yeah, but God grants perseverance. So I'm wondering if that passage is saying that the Scriptures are one of the ways that God works perseverance in our lives. As a means. That's how I would interpret it. Yeah. So, but as we, as we avail ourselves of Scripture, then we are granted perseverance. Because the Scripture gives the perseverance Amen. as a means. Yeah. Right. And, and the warnings in the Scripture would help us to not fail because we heed the warnings. So, therefore, uh, the script, we need the Scriptures and, uh, as a means by which we might persevere in the faith. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Work of faith and labor of love. So that was how Paul described the faith of the Thessalonians. That um, there is um, fruit that shows faith to be genuine and those include Works and love. Then James 1, 3, and 4. Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, nothing. Okay. The trying of your faith works patience. The, the word for trial there in James 1 uh, means to put to the test in order to see if something is genuine. So faith that comes from God is something that will be tested to be proved genuine. Yes, <laughs> can anybody say amen? And uh, The good news is that genuine faith will be perfected actually through trials and like gold put to the test will be purified. And then 1 John 2.17, Bert. And the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So there's there's a contrast between Living for the world, the lust of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life in that passage there, and the one who does the will of God. And there's a contrast in time uh, or endurance. 
the, these lusts that the world has that it offers, and I think that 1 John 2, 16 summarizes all the world has because Jesus was tempted in those three ways and so was Eve. And it says he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So everything the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, one problem is passing away. It's, it's temporary. Very short-lived. But doing the will of God is an eternal thing. Amen. So, that's the fruit of genuine faith. So, our passage says that we need endurance, hupomeno, which is to stay under, so that we have done the will of God, and then there is the reception of the promise. So, there's a delay in the receiving of the promise. The, the ultimate promises that God gives us aren't actualized until eternity in their fullest sense, but the lusts that the world offers are for right now. And so that's why a person really does have to have faith. If you don't believe that the promises are true, and you don't believe Christ is coming again, and you don't believe there's a real heaven and a real hell, and you don't believe that um, there's an eternal kingdom that, that God's going to set up, then you'd be really foolish to pass up what the world has now. Because you, you can see that. Everything the world has is right there, sitting out there on a silver platter, offered to you. And it's very clear that it's, it's available. Everything we believe, we can't see now. Because Christ is in heaven. The promises are yet future, although there's a present aspect, yes. Well, the flesh is insatiable. How do you like to eat and be really hungry and never get filled? And that's the flesh. It's insatiable. It can never be satisfied. So the bread of this world will leave you always hungry. But the living bread, you'll never be hungry. And the living water, you'll never be thirsty. In fact, it will flow out of you and will never stop flowing. Where the world is insatiable and you'll never be satisfied. Hell, two things aren't satisfied. Hell and the flesh. They're insatiable. You'll never have any peace. You'll never have any fulfillment. And that's... And if you read autobiographies of all these different people, they'll tell you in the end, they never found peace. You can go from one woman to one woman, from millions of dollars, the jet planes, the houses, it's insatiable. They'll never have the peace that I offer. God says, the peace that I give passes all understanding. Where does the world offer anything like that? The, the world offers peace through compromise. Compromise. But God's peace is eternal, and, and it's something we have as a fruit of the Spirit. Now, talk about this insatiable appetite of when people are motivated by the world, the world gives us stuff until it makes us sick. sick. Yeah, and then you have your big party and then you pay for it, right? Right. And so, um, like when I was uh, working at the credit part of J.C. Penney, we were sending out charge cards. We were working down in the P, what used to be the PV building. They've renamed it a few times. It's adjacent to Marquette Bank in the 70s. And they had a big candy store down there. We're, you know, selling candy to people and we're walking through the um, skyway or whatever. And I talked to somebody that used to work there and I said, well, I bet you they have to really guard the candy so the employees don't eat it all. And she said, no, it's just the opposite. They tell you you can eat all you want. The first, and, you, and, you, and after the first day, you can't stand to look at it. <laughs> That's their way of curing the employees from eating all the candy. Yeah, eat all you want. Don't worry about it. And the next day they go, oh. <laughs> you get sick of it, and then uh, they solve their problem. The employees eating their product. <clears throat> One sense, that's what God does. He lets us have our fill, and we disobey the law. And he lets us have our fill real good until we, by the grace of God, cry out for uh, like the prodigal, uh, some tongues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord, don't give me what I want. <laughs> yeah, really. So, and then now we're going to talk about this time delay because Hebrews 10 here, as we're wrapping up Hebrews 10, we're looking forward to Hebrews 11, which is about faith. And that's a very exciting chapter that we're going to be studying. But one of the re there's a couple of reasons why faith is so important. Remember, Hebrews 11.1 1 is going to tell us faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now, there are things not seen because of their nature. For example, heaven we can't see now because it's not here on earth. 
Jesus, our high priest, has passed through the heavens. We can't see him. And remember, we've talked about that contrast that they're tempted to go back to the earthly high priest because they can see him. Just like Mo- they said, Moses, we can see. Uh, well, I mean, we can't see him. Once they couldn't see Moses, then they say, they said, well, let's make a golden calf. We can see the golden calf. Moses, who knows? He's up there with God on the mountain, right? Maybe he's not coming back. And so there are things that by their spiritual nature now are unseen. And so we believe in him whom we haven't seen, it says in Peter. Then there are things that are not seen because of the time issue of being future and eternal. So we haven't seen the eternal kingdom. We haven't seen the future. And so faith being the evidence of of that which is not seen includes that which is spiritual and cannot be seen and that which is future. And so here we have a discussion of the fact that we need to have faith because there's a future reward and we have to be willing by God's grace to do his will now, even though the world doesn't reward us for doing God's will. Amen. And even though whatever reward there is, for the most part, it's yet future. Amen. We have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, but yet the most of the the content of the promise is future. So then it goes on to says in Hebrews ten thirty seven, for now this is explanatory. This is why we need endurance. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. So we need to have endurance doing the will of God so that we are ready when the Lord does return. Amen. He, he is, now it says he will not delay. How, could the, how can it say that when it's been 2,000 years since this was written? Once a day is 1,000 years to God, his timetable is different. Okay, uh, Dan said because his timetable is different. Time uh, to us means, you know, a, a year is a long time. Or at least it used to be when we were young. <laughs> like when you're, yeah, like exactly when you're 15, when you're 15 that year, when you're looking forward to driving. At least that was the big thing when I was a kid because I lived on the farm, and driving was your social ticket, you know, to, to be like a real person. And uh, and that year from turning 15 to turning 16 takes forever, but that year from being 49 to 50. <laughs> Yeah, they're about 50 to, yeah, I don't know, I'm sliding along pretty fast here. So, but nevertheless, as Dan said, a thousand years to God would be like one of our days. Talk about walking in faith. When I sin and confess my sin to God, by faith, I believe it's taken care of. Now, I don't want to get Dan riled up, but in, in the Catholic Church, when they sin, they go to the priest. Is the priest kind of the golden cap that says, do this and do that? Well, actually, I just listened to an interesting uh, tape that was given to me by Rocco. I don't know if you met Rocco and Nancy. They come to church here. He gave me this tape by Alistair Big, who was talking about the, the, the sacrament and the Catholic understanding versus what he, the biblical one. A very interesting uh, tape. And he was quoting from the catechism, and basically they're putting their faith in the act of receiving the Eucharist Amen. and this re-sacrifice of Christ. Now they deny, when I talk to Catholics, they say, no, we don't believe that, but that Alistair Big read it right out of their catechism, Amen. what they believe. All right? And so the, the, this physical piece of bread that's tangible is there hope of forgiveness and redemption. All right? And you have to keep doing it over and over again. Whereas we believe the blood was shed once for all. We don't have to see something tangible. And so, um, i got to listen to that again. That was such a great message by Alistair Big. But we believe when we receive communion that this is a remembrance of what God did once for all, not something the substance of which in and of itself is Christ which is what the Catholics teach. And so, again, there's a failure of faith. I think Alistair Big talked about that. Excellent message. It's nice to know there are still some people on the radio preaching the truth. (laughs) Alistair Alistair is a very good preacher. Yes, a mic. And uh, this idea of the Eucharist being the body and blood of Christ and the transubstantiation, 
and only came into the church, into the Catholic Church, in about 1250 AD. So this is something that. It was an innovation, even in their world. Well, I think you know. I think the reason for these things, uh, Mike uh, and well, everybody, is that all humans are looking for something tangible that can be their religion. That their their. I mean, we 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 struggle with faith, and we have to believe what's unseen. We have to believe we have a high priest in the heavens that we can't see. We have to believe in future promises that we can't see. We have to deny earthly lusts and to do the will of God in order to inherit promises that we can't see. That's what this is all about right here. And it says, and don't go back. Now, in, in the wilderness wanderers are a very good illustration of this uh, because they continually had failures of faith because of, of the unseen. The, the Moses on the mountain, he's unseen, the golden calf. The promised land, we don't see the promised land. So they, they, they sent the spies in. Okay, here's the promised land. This is where God wants you to be. He promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what did they, what happened? Well, they came back worried about the people already there and how strong they were. And, and, the, and so they had to sit in the wilderness and go around the mountain. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting in Deuteronomy, it says, it's a, what does it say? It's a seven days journey. And then, and then the next verse says, and 40 years later. <laughs> so they, yeah, they wanted to go back to Egypt because it was tangible. Okay? Um, well, in Egypt, we, we got fed. Yeah, we knew we were going to get fed. And this manna, we're tired of that. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> if I'm going to pay for my sins when I die, I don't need to go through those religious rigmarole. <laughs> I see you're a pragmatist too, like me. That's exactly, you know, I had a different experience, but when the pastor told me there was no resurrection from the dead and Jesus never did miracles, I said the same thing. See ya. You know, I very well can live life without religion if none of this is true. I just can't imagine. They told me, they told me well, we're going to teach you how to be a better person. And I said, why do I want to be a better person? I'm happy the way I am now. <laughs> I'm not so bad. And besides that, the golf course is not very crowded on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, better tea times. Okay. This is kind of having a running conversation with some of my brothers and sisters. And they're Catholic. And the thing with Catholicism was, like you say, you have to receive these sacraments. Yeah. And everything's iffy. You know, you're, you're in and out of grace. Uh, you sin again, and, you know, your soul's at risk. Then you get back into a state of grace, and it's back and forth, back and forth, getting these And what, I, what I'm trying to tell them is that, you know, the Bible has a better gospel. There's security there. Amen. And, uh, you know, you don't have to depend on yourself. You can depend on a loving God who's already uh, done all the heavy lifting for you. And, you know, but people, like you say, they want something tangible. They want something that not only uh, you can't see what God has done for you, you have to take it out of faith by reading His Word. They like to see their own deeds, their own ideas, their own rationalization playing out in everyday life. And, and because they can see that stuff and touch that stuff, it makes them feel good. Huh. And they'd rather put their faith in that, even though in the end it's such an iffy uh, contract with God. Yeah, you end up with no real assurance. Right. And that's, that's the key difference. Amen. You know, it says you have a form of godliness uh, with no power. And, uh, huh. and I think that's what a lot of people labor under because... You know, they're looking to establish these kinds of things in their own performance in the world instead of relying on God and then acting out of that, that trust and faith. You know, your, your real strength, your real ability to um, obey God comes out of uh, what God has given you when you believe in Him. Amen, it's by faith. 
Um, let's all turn together. This passage, these two verses here, let me read verses 37 and 38. And then I want us to turn to the place in the Old Testament where this comes from. It says, for yet a little, you know, very, and first I'm going to read, then I'm going to tell you. Patience, Lord. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> for yet in a little, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So this comes from Habakkuk 2, 3 and 4. find Habakkuk. You're doing better than me. There it is. I found it. I saw it. That helps. I do love the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to read these verses and I want to tell you the story of the prophet Habakkuk. He was the most unique and interesting prophet in the Bible in some ways. He, he's the prophet that rather than preaching to people, he talked to God, and God preached to him. All right, and so Habakkuk's whole prophecy basically has to do with his own questions about God's ways. And I wrote an article on this once. I just love this book of Habakkuk, but it's quoted in Romans, and it was the passage quoted in Romans that led to Martin Luther's conversion. But it says in Habakkuk two, three, and four. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. And though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, keep that in mind, and I'm going to explain what's the context, all right? Habakkuk begins by his complaint. Look at verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? God isn't answering. Now, the reason he was calling for God's help is because of the wicked in Israel. The leadership in Israel was wicked. He says in verse 3, Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? The law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. So, so he complains to God, why aren't you solving the problem of evil in Israel? And so, um, then he gets his answer. Verse 6, here's God's answer. For, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate from themselves. That's interesting. Their horses are swifter. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to send the Chaldeans to destroy the wicked in Israel. I'm going, to, I'm going to wipe out Israel because of her iniquity. And I'm going to use the Chaldeans. Well, that didn't, Habakkuk didn't like that plan. <laughs> so so that, that, rather than comforting him, that made him even more distressed. What? Then look at what, so that was the answer. I'm going to destroy the wicked in Israel through the Chaldeans. Now look at his response in verse 12. Um, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die, O Lord. Thou, O Lord, has appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, has established them to correct. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst... Not look on wickedness with favor. Why dost thou look with favor on those that deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up? Um, and then it says, uh, the Chaldeans put them hook in hooks and drag us away. And uh, he's basically complaining that the Chaldeans are even more wicked than the Israelites. And yet God is going to use them. So now he's got two problems. The wicked in Israel and then the wicked Chaldeans that are coming to destroy them. And so he decides that he's going to wait for God's answer. And then the answer was, God, the vision is yet for an appointed time. Now, having studied this whole book of Habakkuk, the vision is the vision of messianic salvation. Okay, The promises that God gave to the patriarchs. The vision of Israel securely in the land, blessed by God, is a messianic vision. And it's yet for the future. 
And God will fulfill His promises. But in the meantime, the just shall live by faith. In other words, Habakkuk is going to have to believe the promises of God even though he's going to personally witness the destruction. Amen. He's going to sit by. And so he has to swallow this bitter pill that for now, it's going to be very bad. But yet, God made promises that God will not fail in their yet future. And he's going to have to live by faith. He's going to have to believe in these yet future promises of God, even though they may not come in his lifetime. And then so then Habakkuk's response is a very beautiful part because this is a very difficult word that he gets about destruction and bloodshed and, uh, and so on from outside of Israel. And then he has a, a poem in chapter 3 about, and it has to do with the plague that comes and so on. But then look at verse 16 of chapter 3, and I'll read that to the end. And this really is a beautiful illustration of what it is for the just to live by faith. It says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. And in my place, I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. In other words, I have to wait for what of horror that I would never want to see. But I have to do it because I have, because God told me. Amen. Then he says in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, and though the flocks be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk in the high places. And then it says for the choir director. So they're supposed to go sing this. Right? And there's Habakkuk. That's what it means for the just to live by faith. If during, during his lifetime, he wasn't going to see this vision fulfilled. He was going to see the wicked part. He was going to see the Chaldeans. But he wasn't getting to see the vision of messianic salvation. And so then that is what is behind Hebrews here. The book of Hebrews is calling to mind. Remember, these people knew their Old Testament. They knew their Tanakh. And so when this was written, and there's an allusion here to Habakkuk, they realize that they're in the same situation. They're going to have to believe God. They're going to have to believe that Jesus is coming again. And every person of faith who's lived throughout the church age has the same issue as Habakkuk. Amen. Because we've been given precious promises. We've been told that Jesus is coming again, that he's going to drink the fruit of the vine anew with us in the Father's kingdom, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the righteous, and that he's going to come and destroy the wicked, and that he's going to come and set up a kingdom of righteousness. But yet we have to live with our eyes seeing the very opposite. Amen. Like Habakkuk, we have to see the wickedness of the world that goes on and on and on, and but yet believe in these future promises. And so, when it says here, by righteous one shall live by faith, that means that we have to continue in our faith like Habakkuk did, right. even if we're not seeing the promises in our lifetime. Amen. That's what it means. Okay, yeah. In light of these people that come around and preach the end of the times and think that it's going to be such a big, 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 big like that, I feel, aren't they not waiting for God or thinking that it's going to be this, this, and this, and that running to wait on them? Well, it depends. If somebody's preaching end times prophecy because that's what's going to happen in order to cause people to turn to God, that's a good thing. Um, but we we have to be willing to live in this in the world that God put us in, like Habakkuk did, and see this stuff play out. And it's not a pleasant thing. It shouldn't be anyhow. It's not. The, the Bible predicts end times apostasy. We're witnessing it. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant when you, the fact that you just point it out and you get nasty. Uh, there's somebody, I, by the way, I'm, uh, there's a website going up that's going to uh, go after a, a list of people, bad people. 
I'm one of them. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I, I write on the list there with uh, John MacArthur, so... You're like the Sabbath, you're good the Sabbath yeah. breaker and a wine bearer. <laughs> well, they're... they're uh, but, you know, the fact that you point out this is end times apostasy, it makes people angry. People in the church are very angry. How can you say that? Well, say because the church isn't the world and you're turning the church into the world. I've got a simple problem here. The church should be preaching the Word of God, not trying to be popular to the world. By, because I say that, I'm on this list on the website that they're going to take me to pieces, I guess. Who, who is behind the website? A guy that goes to um, uh, Rick Warren's church, who's an author. He's published like four or five books. And he's decided to set his sights on anybody that criticizes Rick Warren. So that's how I got on the list. But nevertheless, the Bible predicted this. Amen. And we need to uh, be like Habakkuk. If there's no fruit on the vine and there's no cattle in the stalls, nevertheless, I'll exalt in the Lord. Because we, we have unseen promises and faith is the evidence of things not seen. And I do believe these things will literally happen. I believe that Jesus is coming again. And I believe that we'll see him and that he's going to transform the body of our humble estate into one that's conformed to his glory image. And uh, this is all future. It may not happen in our lifetime, uh, but be encouraged. People have believed these promises for 2,000 years and gone to be with the Lord, yes. Well, seeing is believing. Every day a doctor works, and there's millions of germs, and he keeps on working and trucking, but he don't see them. And we have a greater faith than any doctor with germs they saw in the microscope, which you didn't believe, because we have a testimony all the way through, and we operate the same way. We seeing is believing. Believing, I mean, believing is seeing. Seeing isn't believing. Like I told the agnostics, you three little bumps on a log. I can see you, and I know you're not God. I can see you. I know what your testimony is, and I don't believe it. Jesus Christ, who I don't see, no rose from the dead. I believe his testimony because I know he's going to raise me from the dead, even though I don't see him. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, you guys aren't going to raise nothing. And I can see you. The, the so atheists. There's false so. creatures going around offering false hope. And they're thinking the Catholic Church never gets Jesus Christ off the cross. So how can a Jesus who never gets off the cross save you? It's no wonder the Pope had Mary under his garment before he died. Because Jesus never gets off the cross. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They should believe it. They profess it. And he rose from the dead. And he can save you to the utmost. But they don't believe it. They've got to go to Mary, all the saints... And it's just sad. He never gets off that cross. You look at it. He's always on there. It's finished, he said, on that cross. And it's sad that the Pope... I'm not down on these people. I pray for their very souls. But to walk around with Mary embedded inside there, it's so sad. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for Rick Warren to lie like he does. Well, I... really agree. I'm not to tell the truth to come out from these people. It breaks my heart. Because, you know, and that's what it said in the Old Covenant. They, they believed a lot of them, but they're afraid to come out from them for what, what the people might say. Well, pastor's not worried about what the people are going to say, because that's what God wants. <laughs> well, I hope not. I'm going to talk about this. Um, and I'm going to talk about confessing today in my sermon as one of the applications. Confessing is verbal and public. Public. Yes. And I think part of the problem is we have a private confession. We need a public one. Yes. And a public confession will get you persecution. If you privately believe all correct doctrine and you put it away in your file cabinet, nobody's going to persecute you. That's so then you can be a friend with the world. And then if anybody questions you, you say, yeah, I believe this, and you go to your file cabinet and you say, and you put it back in there. But uh, the, the gospel by nature needs to be confessed Amen. publicly and professed uh, to anyone. Even It's hard to do, but I'll tell you why it's hard. It's really hard to tell somebody the truth when they're when you know it's hurt. It seems hurtful emotionally. We had an outreach here, right here indoors in February a couple of years ago, and people it was ten below, and people were going out on the streets bringing. I don't know some of you were here bringing people in, and we were preaching the gospel. Three, right at the end of the outreach, three college-aged Jewish ladies came in and sat down, and Car- uh, Carolyn. Christensen, and you, do you know her? you got to meet Carolyn. She is a lovely evangelist. She's so good at what she does. She sat down. Diane, you heard the conversation, right? She sat down and talked to these three Jewish college students and explained the gospel, told them who Jesus was, what he did, and why they needed him. 
And what did one of them ask her, Diane? She said, are you telling me if I don't believe this, I'm going to go to hell? Is that, is that what you were saying? Yeah. And you, Diane heard her. The, the, Carolyn said, yes. <laughs> so what did the Jewish lady say? Yeah. But I, I, I heard that story because Diane happened to hear the conversation. And I was just so pleased with Carolyn. And her, that's not easy to do. And, and we're fooling ourselves and we think it is because if somebody sincerely says, you mean I'm going to hell? It's so tempting to try to come up with some softer answer. But I think part of the, the beauty of Carolyn's ability to evangelize is that she just is herself, transparent. And she says, yeah, that's true. So, but, but better to have something to think about than to be given false hope that you're okay the way you are. Yes? Well, I think the more that you're in the will of God, the more you're going to face opposition. Jesus said to his own disciples, he said, the whole world will hate you because of me, that those who persevere to the end will be saved. So, you know, I think sometimes we think as Christians, you know, if we're practicing Christians, you know, things are going to, you know, people are going to like us and we're going to get along with people and this and that. And it, it's exactly the opposite. The more you pro- pro- profess the gospel, the more opposition you're going to get. Oh, yeah. Did anybody ever see that uh, transcript of Larry King Live when uh, MacArthur and these other people were on there? Do you saw it? Wasn't that amazing? Now, that talk about that would be so hard. You're on national TV... And everybody else on there, that didn't they have like a Buddhist and a... Wasn't Shapur on there? Yeah, the, there was a New Age guy. And, and so here's MacArthur with all these other people. And all the rest of them are very open-minded. They're saying, you know, there's many ways to God and we all really believe the same thing and everything's... And so they're going, they're, and they're all saying their piece. And then they come to MacArthur. <laughs> And he says, no, it's not like that. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Amen. And, and they said, well, how can you say that? How can you judge every other religion? Who do you think you are? <laughs> and so, but the, the, now, that's not easy. It's not easy to say the truth when you are looking really bad for doing so. And everybody there thinks you look like an idiot compared to what they're saying, and most of the TV, there's however many million may be watching, they're all thinking it's really bad. And MacArthur, when I saw that transcript, it just gave me so much respect for him because he was willing to suffer shame in order to tell the truth and not be popular. And that's so rare. That is so rare. And so God bless him. I I didn't see the entire program. I just saw a short portion of it. Okay. The short portion that I saw, several times when they talked to John, he always went back to the gospel. Right, right. Yeah, he's a confessor. That's what a confessor looks like. Um, they had issues like that in the very early church under persecution. A confessor was somebody who would confess even when they're threatened. Amen. Okay. Yes, Denise. If you're not necessarily judging, but you're giving them the information so that they can make the judgment themselves, and they accuse you of judging them. But typically, you don't share the gospel in, you share it in love and a desire to save people, but not condemn them, even though that is a consequence. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're not the judge. God's the judge, but we're to tell the terms of judgment so we can understand treated like you're the one that wrote the book. Yeah. But, but then, but then you've you got to be ready because somebody's what they'll say is, well, who do you think you are? They say that to you, Dan. Who do you, think, who do you think you are? And so the answer is, well, sinner saved by grace. That's what I think I am. Yes. Yeah, I saw that show and it's like nobody, none of those other people mentioned how, you know, I mean, like, you have to know what the consequence is, what's going to happen, you know what I mean? In order to know that you need the solution, you know, like say, 
you know, I'm warning somebody, there's a cliff up there, and you're <laughs> going to fall over the edge if you keep driving in that direction, you know? I mean, people just, they want to believe hell doesn't exist, and there is no consequence. So, so you actually saw the show, huh? Yeah. Did you feel, did you feel like MacArthur seemed odd compared to everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not only did, not only did, uh, they not mention hell, the other people, but MacArthur's the only one that mentioned Jesus. Uh huh. No, nobody else was talking about Christ. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why we have to, Live by faith. And that's what Habakkuk had to do. He had to believe that even though the immediate future was very bleak, that God's promises were still true. And though the vision tarry, wait for it. So that's what, that's what we have. He won't, will not delay. Dean. I've uh, heard several people witnessing, especially about a year or two years ago, out of the fairgrounds who were witnessing. And people would come up and say, well, how can you say that these other religions are wrong? Christianity and Jesus is the only way. And one of the verses that they could have used, which they didn't use, I'm going to read right now, but it says here in Matthew 28, 19, 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all, right. and unto the end of the earth. He says, Go into all nations and teach all people the things that I have commanded you. Right. Meaning, I've got the truth. I want you to convey it to the rest of the world because right. they are incorrect. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, it's amazing how most people believe. They have a, especially in our modern, what they call postmodern society, is sort of a two-layer version of reality. On the one, uh, uh, Francis Schaeffer called it upper and lower story. If you ever read Schaeffer's works. On the lower story, in the plane of existence, they do make distinctions. Certain things work, certain things don't. Certain, they have categories. You know, a door is not a wall, like I always use for an illustration. You know, a chair is not a table. And we're able to function in this world, drive cars, do jobs, make decisions, know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, and sort of function. But when it comes to religion, they jump up into this other realm where everything's fuzzy and everything gets to be true. And so when they do that, you have to call them on it. I was talking to this one person and, and she was saying, well, all religions are teaching the same thing. And I said, no, they're not. Well, let me tell you why they're not. So I explained monism, which is uh, the... Uh, Hinduism, for example, all their categories are all illusionary. God is all, all is God, everything's God, and all. And, and in fact, uh, tantric Buddhism calls the um, the things that we see good and evil insanity in the mind of God. So God got out of whack, and that, that's why we're seeing all this. And when it, when God gets his sanity back, when we have to help him, then all will be one, and we'll have. No more categories. So I said, so you have that idea. And then you have the Judeo-Christian idea that God is transcendent, that he exists from all eternity, that he created the world out of nothing, and that the world is not God. The world is created in finite. God is not created in infinite. So you cannot say that monism, that everything is God, and our belief that the world is finite and created and it is not God, those things can't both be true. And I went over that. And she finally had to admit that, I, that that's true. That it would be totally irrational to think both of those things are true. So therefore, you cannot say all religions are teaching the same thing because they're not. Now, it could be that the Hindus are right and we're all just part of God. Look at the evidence, or it could be that Christianity is right, but they can't both be true. And so what you got to do is take people out of this ethereal, all religions are saying the same thing, and everybody gets to believe whatever they want, and back down into the real world of rationality and say, no, the rationality has to function across the spectrum of everything we do and believe, including our religion. You can't just take this time out and be totally irrational in your religious life, and this thing is going to work. 
And so then you get a, because if you don't do that, if you don't get people back into this, then they, they can't even examine the claims of the gospel. Because they think religion doesn't have to go by any rational rules. You can believe in the sound of one hand clapping, like I read in one of the books when I was studying this. You can believe in a square circle. No. Blah, 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 blah. And, so, and that's what they do. And religions aren't the same. Just like three guys yelling at me in the break room. Here's their three testimonies. They yell at me. Everybody's got an agenda. So one guy says, that's fine if you want to go to heaven. But he says, I'm going to hell and I don't give up. And the other guy says, well, I go to his, that's his agenda. I'm mad at God. The other one, he's, he goes to church once in a while and prays once in a while. That's fine. That's the second individual. The other third individual is divorced from a born-again woman. And who she thinks she is, you know, if you're loving, you go to heaven. So here's three gentlemen, got their own agenda, not afraid to say, like these different religions. Each guy's got an agenda. Each guy's got a philosophy. But God forbid that I should testify about Jesus Christ. You know, they got it, and they admit it. Every human being has got an agenda. And he's going to preach and believe what he wants, to, no matter what religion he belongs to. And they're fervent about it. Like he said, that's fine you want to go to heaven. But he says, you will never get there because there's only one man that lived the life. He wrote me a big letter. Jesus Christ. Well, I tell you, that's right. He's the only one that lived the life. And he's the one I'm trusting in to get there because the guy's exactly right. I can't get there without Jesus Christ helping me and doing it for me. Okay. But they're so adamant, this world. And all these religions are adamant. They're all different. And they've got a million ways to go to hell. That's true. One thing about the devil, he's open-minded. <laughs> Dan, Luke 18.8. Dean, Revelation 22.20. <laughs> the devil is very open-minded. open-minded, super open-minded. <laughs> very tolerant, too. Luke 18, 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Like the days of Noah, God yeah. said it be in the end. Yeah, in other words, that was the parable about the unrighteous judge, and it talks about persisting in prayer. And it says, the elect cry out to God day and night for justice. Amen. Day and night. Luke 18, 8. But nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith on the earth? Hmm. Jesus says in the end times it will be like the days of Noah. There wasn't a lot of faith on the earth. Really? Revelation 22, 20. What's that say? 22, 20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's promised to come quickly. Amen. All right, let's go to Hebrews 10.38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I have a note here about Isaiah 26.20. I think that's part of it. Could you look that one up, Brian? Isaiah 26.20? Isaiah 26.20, is that it? Okay. Yeah, I wrote it. it uh, My notes say that this is part of the citation. I don't know. For behold, the Lord is coming out of this place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also will disclose the bloodshed upon her and will no longer cover her slain and conceal her guilt. So the Lord's coming to judge. Amen. All right. Maybe that's part of that. He's coming and he will not delay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, well, let's look at some more passages here. Denise, uh, Psalm one forty, Psalm one forty nine four. Tell me your name again, Laura. Okay, uh, Ezekiel eighteen twenty four. Want to do that? Do you want to do one? Uh, Romans one seventeen. That's Martin Luther's verse. Okay, Psalm one forty nine four. Denise, when you get there. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. All right, he will beautify the humble with salvation. That has, yeah, that has a, that's to this, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
Ezekiel 18 is a very interesting passage. Romans 1.17. Right, there's, there's Paul's gospel, the righteous shall live by faith, and he cites Habakkuk there. And that was the verse that Luther was reading or studying when he was teaching. He was a professor, and he was, and he was tormented by his own sin and his own guilt. And he found no relief. No matter, he, he tried to do everything the church had to offer, and he still was tormented. And he read that verse, and he realized that this righteousness was not, what, which is a threat. See, he saw God's righteousness as a threat, which it is, to sinner. And how could he ever stand before a righteous God? And this verse, the light went on when he read this verse, and he realized that by faith, God gives the gift of righteousness to sinners. Amen. Praise him. And that started the Reformation. Romans 1.17. Okay, Linda, Galatians 3.11. And Cat, two Peter two nineteen to twenty two, and James one John two nineteen. Galatians three eleven. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. There again is another citation. Notice that now we've had three New Testament places where that same. Verse in Habakkuk was quoted. So obviously it's important, isn't it? The righteous shall live by faith. And then 2 Peter 2, 19-22. They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever his master him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their back on the sacred commands that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own. Amen. Amen. And the sow that is washed goes back to the wallowing in the muck. The sow washed goes back to the muck. So that would be apostasy, yes. I would say that if this is what happens, according to First John, they went out from us because they, ne- they weren't of us. This would be like Saul and like Judas. So on the scene of history, let's take Judas, for example. As far as anybody knows, he's just like all the rest of the disciples, right? He's going out, healing the sick. When they went out two by two, he's listening to the teachings of Jesus. He's part of the uh, inner circle, the twelve. But yet, Jesus called him a son of perdition. In fact, he says, I've lost none of them save... Here's a passage uh, that I think the next one I have, but, but being how Linda's asking. Linda, maybe you can look this one up. Look up John 17.12. I think that may be the answer right there of your, to your question. Right. So in other words, Judas doing what he did wasn't a failure on Jesus' part. He he kept his own. But the son of perdition, you had a devil from the beginning, never really was one of them. But they didn't know that. Jesus did, but they didn't. Okay? So if you see this happen, then that's as far as I understand. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Maybe. That's a good point. You got Ananias and Sapphira, you got Judas, you got Saul. And you know, throughout history, look at some of the apostates that have happened, people that were turned from Christianity and became atheists. Like, well, yeah, Dan Barry is a big atheist and he preached Christ. I don't believe he ever, like I told the other guy that involved in Lutheranism is an atheist, brought up in it. But I didn't ever hear any testimony that they really believed. They can out there and preach it, and he's proud that he's a big atheist. He preached Christ, a big preacher, and he lets everybody know, Mr. Salisbury, that he preached. 
but he's totally against the uh, born yeah. again. He can't stand him, and he makes a big stand. So in a sense, not in a sense, by the word of God, he's worse off. He knew, he knew, but he didn't believe it. He yeah. preached it. But you know, I got to give him credit because he come out of the closet. There's millions of them that aren't coming out of the closet. They're just like him, agnostics preaching the word of God, agnostics sitting in that church anyway to heaven, and they won't come out. At least he's not in the middle, like Jesus said. I'll spit you out. He's come out and made his stand. So there's a line in the sand. There's got to be a line in the sand. The belief versus unbelief. The gospel stands against the world. And he's come out anyway. We're well, the rest of them in the churches. They're all hiding. Let, well, let me, let me explain who you're talking about. There's a guy who used to be a pastor in yes, town here who is now a, an atheist. And he's a professing atheist. And he sent me an email. Because you gave him one of my articles. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that would be in the. I think that's a literal example. Here's a here's a pastor who's now an atheist. So he went back into the muck. Now, if it's, if if the saw goes back in the muck, what does it show? Yes. The question that I'm wondering about, I like last week we were visiting my relatives in the Salvation Army, and he was saying um, that you can lose your salvation. What I'm wondering is more of the Armenian versus Calvinist. Oh, okay. On the Armenian and the Calvinist question on how this would be interpreted, an Armenian will believe you literally can lose your salvation, that you can be saved at one point and lost later. All right? Whereas the Reformed view would say, that those who are truly regenerate, God will keep them. And they will persevere. Now, there's, there's sort of a, there's another view that I, that confuses people that's called once saved, always saved, which is true. It is true that if you're really truly saved, but some, but some people teach it once saved, always saved, no matter what. In other words, uh, if this, they would say that this atheist, if he really was saved once, he still is, even though he's denying Christ. I would no. I would say no to that. No way, because God, the doctrine of perseverance is that God keeps us. It isn't that God loses us, but we're somehow saved anyhow. Yes, uh, uh, Linda. Um. Well, I just really think that once you're saved, you can't repent. And First Peter says that was protected by the power of God through faith for salvation. So, I mean, it's like he's the one that's keeping us. See, like, we can grieve the Spirit because, you know, I mean, we can kind of, you know, wander off the path and get back on, but, I, I mean, I just, it's not us to keep us. Uh, I think the conclusion people bear in their life, whether they're saved or not, so, for a pastor to say, I am saved and preach the word, and then come back later and renounce Christianity, the fruit he bears proves he was never truly saved. But right. a truly regenerate will bear fruit in the Spirit right. because that. If the Holy Spirit were indwelling such a person, they'd be convicted. Amen. Amen. Uh, James and oh, oh, Diane? I was just going to say, part of what happens in here, for a time frame, is you have the parable of the sower and the seed. And it takes a while before you, some of it's planted on, so they might be part of the church, you know, their life is turning around. And then they go back. There's an example of people we've known over the years who you don't know for a period of time. They're professing that they're a Christian. It it takes a long haul to see if there's fruit, to see how they do, to see, but there's, you have the seeds that fall on different grounds, and it takes a while. Okay. That's a good point. James, quick read your verse, and we're running late here. All right. There, there's that's an important passage. Now, why some people? don't like this doctrine, but I'll tell you, I believe it's biblical. And there's a good reason why we need to be able to know the security of salvation is because all the other world religions don't give you that. No. And only Christianity gives you the security of your of, that you're saved because yeah. of a work of God's grace that's a free gift. And we don't want to take that away by saying, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, but if you goof up, then you're going to go to hell anyhow. 
No, God will keep you. If you goof up, He'll discipline you as a son. And He'll bring you back. That's how we understand it. Okay, so I'm sorry for going late. Um, Guess what? 